who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. You're listening to Call of the Herald, book one of the Dawning of Power trilogy, a podcast novel written and read by Brian Rathbone. For more information and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening. I'll go back for help, Chase said as the light rain began to fall. I can walk, she said, but she winced when she put weight on her wounded leg. Our kills weigh more than the two of us combined. I'm going back for help, Chase said. He turned and jogged back toward the cavern, occasionally howling like a wolf. He and the others returned more quickly than Katrin would have thought possible. She stood to greet them, and Benjamin's face paled when he saw her. Her wounds were not as bad as they appeared, but she made for a ghastly sight. The rain had streaked the dirt and blood on her face, and the swelling was getting worse. Cripes, cat! You were supposed to shoot the game, not tackle it, Strom said. It looks like he put up a pretty good fight. Benjamin gave her a thorough looking over and shook his head. You got mighty lucky, little miss. Not many survive facing a boar that size. I'd say you fared pretty good by the looks of things. Do you think you can walk? Yes. It hurts a bit, but I don't think anything is broken, she said through gritted teeth. She put some weight on her leg and it held, but it throbbed painfully. Benjamin looked for a fallen branch but found none that suited him. He cut down a nearby sapling, stripped it of its branches, and cut it to be as long as Katrin was tall. He handed her the makeshift walking stick. We all need a little help, sometimes. Lean on this. Chase and Strom hacked at a couple of saplings with their belt knives and stripped them of branches. Benjamin tied the animal's ankles, then inspected the saplings. 
they slid the smaller sapling under the ropes that tied the buck's ankles and took the larger sapling to the boar. Benjamin helped them get the boar on the pole, then stood and wiped his hands on his pants. Strom and I will take the boar. Chase and Osborne can carry the deer. You sure you want to walk, little miss? We could come back for you. I can make it, she said, wiping blood from her nose, but she leaned heavily on the walking stick. Benjamin and Strom each put a shoulder under the sapling and struggled to get the boar off the ground. I know I said we couldn't afford to be picky, but in the future, let's stick to games smaller than a horse, he said between clenched teeth. With that, they began lurching back toward the cavern. Chase and Osborne moved in behind them, struggling a bit with the weight of the buck. Katrin limped along, lost in thought as she struggled to keep up. They reached the base of the rock pile where the cavern was located, dropped the boar and buck to the ground, and flopped down beside them. They lay there, exhausted. Katrin leaned against a tree and tried to ignore the pain in her face and leg. With these kills, you and Chase should be able to sit back and relax. My stomach thanks you, Strom said with a smirk and a quick bow. Benjamin had rigged a harness to lift the kills up to the cavern while Chase and Katrin had been out hunting. After they raised the deer and the boar, Benjamin gave her his shoulder to lean on as she carefully put her injured leg into one side of the harness he had crafted. She leaned on him heavily as she gingerly lifted her other leg into the apparatus. We'll take it real slow, Lil Miss. Just let us know if you need help or if you feel you are in trouble. As soon as her feet left the boulders, she started spinning, and she had to catch herself on a nearby branch. Chase did what he could to steady the rope from his perch in a tree above her, but his movement shook the tree, showering her with rainwater. He pushed the rope out away from a large branch, and she passed well clear of it. When she finally cleared the ledge, they looked at the boar, then at the deer, and finally at their small smoke room. We're going to need a bigger smokehouse, Osborne said. Benjamin attended to Katrin's wounds while the others dressed the carcasses. She winced as she wiped the dried blood from her face and nose. Her eye was nearly shut and her nose was sore but those were barely noticeable compared to the throbbing pain in her shin. She pulled back with a sharp intake of breath when he lightly ran the damp cloth over it. He got his wax-sealed herbal kit and another flask of clean water and told Katrin to tilt her head back and open her mouth. She did so reluctantly, knowing what was coming. He sprinkled a fair amount of ground humrus root into her mouth, and handed her the flask. She gulped, and water splashed down the sides of her face as she hurried to wash down the bitter-tasting herb. She took several more large gulps before she would let Benjamin take the flask from her. He put a bit more of the powder in his palm and poured a small amount of water on it. 
He mixed it into a paste and told Katrin to lie back and relax. She sprawled on her back but could not relax. Her leg was still throbbing and she tensed at the anticipation of his touch on her swollen shin. He did it as quickly and gently as he could, but she cried out in pain and tears flowed down her cheeks. It'll take a little while for the humrus root to dull the pain, but it should help you sleep tonight, he said. Soon, mercifully, the potion began to take effect. Her pain was mostly dulled, and exhaustion now overtook her. The herbs and the rhythmic sound of the falling rain soon lulled her into a deep sleep. Though he had met with General Dempsey in the past, Kern felt an ache in his stomach and his knees trembled. This mission was different from all that had come before it, and the general's mood had been ranging from seething to bitter. The men had come to fear him more than ever as he lashed out in anger. His judgments over disputes became increasingly harsh, often punishing both the accused and the accuser. Most disputes were now handled between the individuals for fear of General Dempsey's decisions. Biting his lip, Kern rapped on the general's cabin door. Come. Good afternoon, General Dempsey, sir. Overseer Kern, report. We've covered the farmlands, sir. She's not there. I've sent men to the mountains, but I've received no reports yet. We'll find her, sir. You can depend on that. You'd better. Your men are supposed to be the best. I suggest you prove it. Or your next medal could be posthumous. Yes, sir. Chapter 8 The Righteous Are Bound by Duty to Enlighten the Heathens and Emancipate the Souls of Those Beyond Reform Archmaster Belegra. The next few days passed more quickly than Katrin thought they would. Her wounds were healing well, and she spent most of her time dressing, butchering, salting, and smoking the game Benjamin and Chase brought back. Strom had had some luck with a fishing hole, and there were fish to be filleted, then cooked, salted, or smoked. Racks made of fresh-hewn saplings now lined one of the cavern walls, and a few were already laden with cured venison, pork, and fish. Strom had been elected to find fruits and nuts, and he brought in apples, berries, and sacks of black walnuts. As the provisions mounted, Benjamin said, I'm pleased with your work but we still need at least three times what we have if we're to survive the winter. I'd rather not live here, but if I must, I don't want to go hungry. That was the mantra that kept the young people working. No one was happy with the prospect of a prolonged stay, but they tried not to dwell on it. Their lives depended on the work they had to do, 
which meant less idle time to speculate about the future and the fates of their loved ones. Despite Katrin's rapid recovery, Benjen continued to apply humorous pace to her shin, though he used it sparingly to conserve his supply of herbs. Katrin gladly retired her walking stick when she could put weight on her leg without any pain. Benjen described a few herbs he thought might grow in the area and asked them to harvest only half of the plants they found, making sure to leave enough for repopulation. If you only find one or two plants, he said, just pick a few leaves. Some will be better than none. Within a few weeks, they had enough food to last until spring with strict rationing. They had to use the last of their salt supply, however, and their herb-gathering efforts had produced little. There's no help for it, I suppose, Benjen said when he shook the last of the salt from their bag. Too little to even cover a perch fillet. We can't smoke too much meat without giving away our location. We'll need to eat as much fresh meat and fish as possible until we can no longer hunt. Any food that'll keep is off-limits. We'll need it before spring arrives, no doubt. I want Strom and Katrin to gather more black walnuts, since they seem to be plentiful, and any other nuts or fruits you can find. I know I've been pushing you all hard, but I've little choice in the matter. The storms can be intense this high in the mountains, and the snow doesn't melt till spring. Once the snows start, we could be trapped in here until spring. We need to gather more food so we can eat comfortably this winter, and we're going to need a much larger supply of firewood. I want you to spend half of each day hunting and foraging, and the other half collecting wood. If you can do both at once, then you'll certainly impress me. I'm going to look for herbs. Our supply is far too small for my liking, and I know the places they like to hide, he said with a wink, and he shouldered his pack. When Benjen returned that evening, he was laden with plants and roots, and he entered the cavern with a big smile. I feel a bit better now. I should have enough medicinal herbs to deal with most ailments. But try not to fall off any cliffs and watch out for snakes, he said. Along with the herbs, he produced turnips, asparagus, and even some wild garlic which he used to make a delicious soup. I hope we don't have to eat all these walnuts to survive, Strom said while he and Katrin were returning from one of their many nut-gathering outings, and she admitted that she was dreading the winter as much as he. Tension grew as the weeks passed, and even Benjen began to show signs of worry. One night he sat them all down around the fire. Wendell and I made an agreement, he said. If he hadn't joined us within forty days, then I was to sneak back as close to Harberton as I could to see what was going on. I'm going to leave tomorrow before dawn. I only plan to be gone for four or five days. You all know to remain quiet and stay hidden. Keep the fires small, and try not to leave obvious signs of your passage when you're out hunting and gathering. 
he lectured. Maybe I should go with you, Chase offered. It'll be a dangerous task, and I'm more experienced at this kind of thing. I want you all to stay here and continue on as you have been, but be extra careful. You must protect one another. What if you don't come back in five or six days? Osborne asked, concern written clearly on his face. The best thing you can do is keep yourself safe and carry on as you have been. If you think you've been spotted or you need to escape, try to go east. About a half a day's walk from here, there's a large river. Follow the river north. When you reach the waterfall, go to the top if you can and then follow the valley north by northeast, Benjamin said, pausing a moment to look into the troubled faces in front of him to gauge their concern. I don't think you'll have any trouble. You're well hidden here. Just remember to stay inside as much as possible and keep quiet. You'll have enough provisions to last through the winter if you use good judgment. Strom, take the first watch and wake Chase for the second. I'm going to need my sleep tonight, he said before retiring to his bedroll. Katrin and the others exchanged worried glances, but didn't speak. They wanted to know what was going on outside their hideaway, but they feared for Benjamin's safety. The tension in the cavern was almost palpable. Katrin woke in the dead of night to find Benjamin already gone. Chase sat near the fire and waved when he saw her sit up, and she joined him by the fire. How long ago did he leave? she asked quietly. It's been quite a while. His idea of morning is more like the middle of the night, he replied. He declined her offer to take the rest of his watch, and instead they talked until dawn. Though most of his wounds had healed, Peyton Ross still walked with a limp. And not a moment passed that he did not feel pain yet no one showed him the slightest bit of favor or kindness. He was just another refugee, lumped in with commoners and men he wouldn't let shine his boots. The stench alone was enough to make him want to escape, but it was the chance to prove his bravery and worth to Rosette and everyone else that was too alluring to resist. She and the others had shunned him ever since the snake incident, even knowing the snake was harmless, Peyton recoiled from the thought of its touching him. He would prove Rosette and the others wrong. While most chose to spend their time wallowing in self-pity, Peyton had been looking for a way out. There were too many people confined in the master house, and he was convinced that Wendell Volker and those who followed him to the cold caves were getting fat on the Ross family's meat. For generations, his family had been storing sides of beef in the cold caves, but only now did that practice seem a liability. It infuriated Peyton that he should have to endure a strict ration when those who didn't deserve it dined on his food. Things had seemed hopeless, until Peyton met a dirty little man whose name he did not remember nor care to know. All that was important 
was that this man was willing to reveal some of the master house's secrets for nothing more than a few silvers. When everyone else was asleep, Peyton walked on the tips of his toes over the still bodies that seemed to carpet the cold flagstones. One man cursed him when he stepped on a finger, but no one else seemed to notice or care. At the entrance to the hall that led to the sacred chambers, those denied to the refugees, a bored-looking guard seemed to be having trouble keeping his eyes open. It seemed an eternity that Peyton waited, but then the moment came. The guard let his eyes droop closed. After waiting a few more anxious moments, Peyton moved as quietly as he could past the guard, his limp making the act of being silent even more difficult. His right foot seemed to want to drag across the stone with every step, and he gritted his teeth against the pain. Voices carried through the halls, and Peyton flattened himself against the corridor wall, feeling exposed and vulnerable. I can smell the boiling vermin from here, he heard someone say. Won't be much longer before that problem's... The voices faded, and Peyton hastily resumed his quest, suddenly panicking, worried he had forgotten what the man told him. Was it left at the fifth hall, then right at the third? Or was it the other way around? Sweat dripped into his eyes as he concentrated. Part of him wanted to give up, to go back and hide with his family and friends. But another part seemed to have awakened. He could make a difference. His actions could save countless lives. In his mind, he played through the drama and pageantry that he imagined would follow his great victory. His people needed a leader, a person who would take action in the face of death, and he was that leader. All he had to do was prove that to everyone. With determination, he strode forward as fast as his limp would allow. Following his gut instinct, he turned left when he reached the fifth hall, and right at the third. No more voices broke the silence, and finding the room the man had told him about sent Peyton's confidence soaring. If only his confidence could defeat the smell, which was worse than the smell of the refugees. The thought of climbing through a sewer made Peyton want to retch, but it was the path to his salvation. Driven by his need for power and a deeper, almost unrecognizable feeling of responsibility for those he cared about, he entered the sewer. The journey was something he hoped he could erase from his memory for all time. But he doubted it. At least the man had been true to his word about leaving a torch. Obtaining flint from a fellow refugee had cost him another silver but it was coin well spent. Without the torch, he would have been lost. When he rounded a corner and saw a splash of dim light illuminating the way ahead, though, he quickly tossed the torch into the fetid water. When he reached the grate, he nearly wept. Grasping at the bars that blocked his way, he cursed the dirty little scoundrel who had sent him on a fool's quest. Anger boiled in his belly 
and he growled in fury. It took every scrap of will he possessed to refrain from crying out, from venting his rage on the heavens. In his anger, his muscles contracted, and he could feel the bars digging into his flesh. But then something amazing happened. One of the bars began to move. It was only the slightest movement, but it was enough. Increasing the pressure, Peyton began to push and pull on the bar as hard as he could. Mortar fell away in large chunks, and with a suddenness that sent Peyton stumbling backward, the bar gave way. Again, Peyton had to refrain from crying out as he pushed his way past the remaining bars. Rock and metal bit into his skin and left him with a dozen minor cuts but he gained the fresh air and his freedom. The drainage ditch that ran along the mouth of the sewer ended at a small cove so fouled and stagnant that no one would stay near it for long, and Peyton decided that it could be no worse than the sewers had been, and it was his best chance to slip into the water undetected. Beyond the cove, he bathed in the crashing waves, letting them blast the foulness from him. But the smell seemed to follow him no matter how hard he scrubbed. In the end, he gave up washing and concentrated on swimming and, at times, wading his way along the coast. The sun began to rise, as if Vestra wished to expose him to the Jean. Peyton cursed his luck and looked for a good place to leave the water and gain the shore. He had seen no shadows and heard no voices for quite some time, and he knew he needed to cover a lot of distance in a hurry. When he reached the shore, he climbed a pair of massive stones that cradled an ancient tree between them. Using a branch to pull himself up, he had no time to react and not the slightest chance of avoiding the boot heel that was hurtling toward his face. In an instant, the world went dark. A broken twig and a plant that stood at an angle, its leaves crumbled and broken, were Benjamin's first warning, and it was far too close to their hideaway for his comfort. There were more signs as he moved closer to the populated lands. Years of training became fresh in his mind once again, as the need for stealth became paramount. When he neared the farm, his fears grew. It seemed the Jean were everywhere at once. Their numbers were difficult to believe, and he considered abandoning his quest. But the need for information drew him on. It was all too clear to him now that they would not be able to remain in the cavern until spring. The Jean could tear down the forest and pick the mountains clean if that was what it took. When he reached the tree line that bordered the farm, he crouched behind a tree and waited. Soldiers milled about the area, and he thought he might have to wait until after dark. In the distance, a bell rang and many of the soldiers stopped what they were doing and headed back toward Harberton. A few remained. Not perfect, Benjamin said to himself, but it's an improvement. 
one man went to the well, and two others walked toward the cottages. No one else could be seen. Benjamin made his move and charged up to the back of the barn. Looking through a knothole in the barn door, he checked for Jean but saw no one. Doing his best to be quiet, he slid the door partly open and slipped in. First, he went to the feed stall and was pleased to find that the Jean had not taken everything. A salt block sat in the corner, and there were still some oats in one of the barrels. Being as quiet as possible, he broke up the salt block and put it into a couple of sacks that had been hanging from a wooden peg. He put some of the oats in a sack as well, but he did not take too much, knowing he could carry only so much and still maintain his stealth. It took time to carry each sack into the loft, but he figured this was the safest place to hide them until he came back. The loft is also where he'd hidden his sword, and he pulled it from behind the bales of moldy hay. He had considered taking it with him when they first left for the mountains, but he had been unable to bear the thought of talking to Katrin about her mother. He could not lie to her, and if she saw the sword, she would surely have questions. Any answers he gave to those questions would certainly have led to questions about Elsa. The memories were still painful for him, and he could see no good that would come from revealing things to Katrin that would only confuse and hurt her. Now, though, the need outweighed his desire to spare Katrin the pain of knowing. Even as the thought occurred to him, he heard the barn's front door open and the sound of horses walking into the barn. In the next moment, he heard something that chilled his bones and made him curse his own stupidity. Why is the back door open? Someone asked in John Lander. Benjamin hadn't heard it spoken in many years, but he recognized the peril of his situation immediately. After making sure the sacks of salt and grain were well hidden, he climbed over the bales of straw that were stacked almost to the angled roof line. Squeezing himself through the cobwebs, he ducked under the rafters that gave him barely enough room to pass. When he finally reached the other side, he quietly slid down into the small open area between the straw pile and the back door of the loft. From what he could hear, the soldiers below had not called out or raised the alarm but he heard them climb to the loft. As quietly as he could, Benjamin opened the loft door just enough to see if anyone was outside. When the way looked clear, he opened the door and climbed out onto the narrow ledge that ran along the top of the barn doors. With his back to the barn, Benjamin closed the door and scooted himself sideways until he reached the makeshift ladder he'd built many years ago. It had taken only a few scraps of barn board, cut into short strips and nailed to the side of the barn to create a nearly invisible ladder. As he climbed down it, he was thankful for his own ingenuity. When he reached the bottom, he saw the soldiers coming back down from the loft, and he raced to the fence. Using his momentum and a hand on the top rail, he launched himself over the fence. In truth, he was lucky his grip did not miss the top rail since the entire fence was overgrown with honeysuckle and blackberry bushes. Oh.
That concludes this episode of Call of the Herald. For more information and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening.